Blog Talk Radio. Sorry about that. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of B Radio. Um, tonight, I once again have panelists. Our topic of discussion is comparing the Green Party to the Venus Project. Um, tonight, I have on with me some people you guys have already seen, obviously, um, as far as panelists and one person who's never been on before. So I'm going to start with uh, Chibi. Go ahead and introduce yourself one last time, I promise. Uh, all right. The, yeah, this is Chibi from the Missouri Zeitgeist chapter. And um, Thunder, who has also been a veteran on his own show and on this show, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hello, everybody. This is Thunder, of course, uh, from TVP Radio and uh, currently working on the SoCal, Southern California um, chapter for the Freedom Zeitgeist movement. Dan and finally, last but not least, uh, Sarah, um, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hey, um, I'm known as Calculator on the Zeitgeist Movement forums, and I'm from Northern Ireland. Excellent, excellent. Well, it's great to have all of you here. Um, today's show was actually featured on both Independent Political Report and Green Party Watch. Um, the topic of the discussion will basically be what it is that I had posted recently on my blog, for those of you who want to read my blog, you can go to uh, vradio.org. That's v-radio.org. Uh, there's a link there directly to the blogger. Um, and that's also what I'll be reading from today as we read the uh, similarities between the Green Party platform and the platform of the Venus Project. So um, First of all, uh, I wanted to ask um, you know, everybody here, if you did, like, just before we even go any further, uh, what, are your, what are your initial impressions? What do you know about the Green Party uh, already like, before we get started? Um, I'll start with you, Chidi. Um, well, to be honest, I have, I, I've just only heard the name um, for the last couple of years. Uh, I just assume that it's an environmentalist party, so, um, and I'm all for that, but I've never really seen them go mainstream, so, you know, I, I haven't really looked into it too much, to be honest. Okay. Uh, what about you, Thunder? Yeah, unfortunately, I'll have to also plead a little bit of ignorance. I'm not uh, up to speed on the Green Party other than, like, what Chibi said. It, it, it would tend to be logical to assume they have a lot to do with uh, environmental issues and planetary issues, uh, and that's about as much as I know. And uh, finally, I know that uh, there's a different Green Party in the UK, um, Sarah, so if you wanted to give your impression of the Green Party, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry, I have to say the same thing. I don't know an awful lot about them. Um, everyone I know uh, who votes does vote for the Green Party, and I, I think their general sort of attitude is they're the least political party, and so they have to be Okay, well, we're going to get very familiar with it now. Um, just wanted to uh, basically go over uh, what it is that I had put on my blog, and basically it was the Venus Project and the Green Party. Um, I'll talk about my own experiences with the Green Party as well. Uh, here in Michigan, the Green Party and the Libertarian Party work very close together to try to make sure that they uh, both have equal treatment and ballot access. 
And whenever there's a voter, uh, like, special, like, town hall meeting or whatever that one of us gets invited to, we always make sure that the other does. And so my fellow candidate, Candace Cavaney, uh, from the Green Party, was very nice to me during the course of my run for Congress. Um, obviously, many of you know that uh, the Green Party kind of got its, you know, first attention from Ralph Nader um, doing what he did, you know, running as a third-party candidate. But... Um, in addition to that, basically, you know, pretty much everything you guys have already said is correct. And one of the things that I, I studied today was this, the, the platform of the Green Party because some of the people, like when I, I called the Green Party's national, uh, uh, basically the phone number they give in the national website, and uh, I talked to a gentleman who said he was an architect, and we talked a lot about the Venus Project's ideas, and he was totally on board with all of them completely agreed that we could make a self-sustaining society right now with the technology that we have and that we just choose not to. So that made me very hopeful. Um, I then talked to somebody uh, locally here in Michigan, I guess, is in charge of deciding about who can possibly uh, get to speak at the next Green Party convention, which luckily enough for me is going to be here in Michigan next year. So um, I, I talked to Candace a little bit about, you know, joining the Green Party. She seemed very happy to hear me kind of come on board because uh, after reading the Green Party platform, I do feel that I'm a lot more compatible with it as far as um, various issues that have come up um, that I feel are important. I still obviously am a member of the Boston Tea Party, and that's not going to change. I still do want to see the power of government, you know, limited as much as possible um, and the size of it and hopefully eventually the total elimination of it if we can create a system wherein we don't need one. Um, so I'm also going to be taking callers since we did advertise the show in a lot of places that we don't normally advertise. If uh, you would be interested in calling in, if you're a member of the Green Party, for example, or even if you're just a member of the Zeitgeist Movement and you want to comment on what it is that we've been studying here today, um, you're more than welcome to call in. The call-in number is 347-945-7747. That's 347-945-7747. Thanks again. And uh, let's go ahead and get ready to read here on the blog. Um, once again, if you want to read along with us, um, the blog post is, you can find it, a link on the front page of my website, v-radio.org. That's v-radio.org, hyphen between the V and the word radio. Okay. Tuesday, September 1st, 2009. The Venus Project and the Green Party. So I have endeavored to get to know the Green Party and its platform as I realized recently that the Green Party is also very compatible with our ideas. I figured I would start with the, the uh, start with first with the comparative analysis of the Green Party's platform and the ideals of the Venus Project. What follows is quotes from the Green Party platform and my comparisons afterward. This from being from the Green Party platform. Grassroots democracy. Every human being deserves a say in the decisions that affect his or her life and should not be subject to the will of another. Therefore, we will work to increase public participation at every level of government and ensure that our public representatives are fully accountable to the people who elect them. We will also work to create new types of political organizations which expand the process of participatory democracy by directly including citizens in the decision-making process. Now, my statement back, uh, on this, and then we will bring up the panelists and see what they think so far. The Venus Project obviously agrees entirely with the notion of human beings deserving a say in the decisions that affect his or her life and that they should not be subjected to the will of another. We also feel that this should eventually extend to getting rid of the need for employment to survive. 
We do, however, feel that as long as there is a monetary system, there is very little any honest politician could ever accomplish. That doesn't mean that we don't advocate being activists. That is the best way to spread awareness. So that's the first part of their platform, grassroots democracy. I'm going to read it one more time again so that the panelists have some idea of what we're talking about. But um, every human being deserves a say in the decisions that affect his or her life and should not be subject to the will of another. Therefore, we will work to increase public participation at every level of government and to ensure that our public representatives are fully accountable to the people who elect them. We will also work to create new types of political organizations which expand the process of participatory democracy by directly including citizens in the decision-making process. Okay, so Chibi, um, do you have any comments on uh, how you feel that that could be compatible with us? Um, well, I don't think it's in entirely compatible with like long term, you want to look like 150 years down the road or something, what we right. hope to eventually. But as far as what we want to move into, the process the, of moving towards a resource-based economy, this is the kind of, I, I think, in transition, you, you do need that sort of thing. You can't have a big government and make a transition. It, well, maybe you can, but I, I just don't see it happening that way. So in that sense, then, yeah, it's definitely compatible um, for a, a transition period. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking, too. Um, so, Thunder, what do you think? Yeah, um, I agree with Chibi. Uh, um, as I was listening to you, I, I was thinking, yeah, during the transition, I believe we're going to need a governing body of people, not necessarily the way it's set up now, and obviously the way it's set up now is is not working. And um, But this governing body of, of representatives, if you will, um, if they're focused on what's best for the people, and of course the people have a say-so in what goes on, I see that as a very valuable transitional um, thing. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, and now finally, Sarah, what did you think? Um, yeah, well, I mean, in terms of, uh, you know, um, how a human being shouldn't be subject to the will of another, I mean, I'm not going to start in a rant about um, sort of doing what you're told and stuff, but I mean, anyone who knows me from the Ventrilo anyway knows that I'm, I'm very much against that. But yeah, I agree. Sort of, you, you do need some degree of that within the transition. Yeah, and I, you know, I guess now I'll take my opportunity to talk is that at one, some of the stages that Jacques Fresco talks about. Um, like, for example, how democracy would work in the Venus Project, like in the initial phases, is that when we were going to make decisions, everybody would get together in this big room and we would each have our own computer and the ability to articulate our ideas using animation and add to the existing conversations that they were going on. Basically, real-time participatory democracy in the very beginning to you know, make major decisions. Um, and this, of course, not being corrupted by... The, the main issue that, that affects democracy, which is the profit motive, uh, lobbyists and things of that nature, because such things don't exist in a Venus Project society where everybody shares the resources and uses technology to cultivate them into abundance. As such, uh, a lot of the problems you have with democracy go away. Now, one of the other things that generally scare people, you know, about, uh, especially libertarians, about direct democracy is that um, they feel it's majority rule. Well, they always call it mob rule. Um, I usually find it kind of funny that they call it mob rule, but you know it, it's perfectly acceptable for that mob to elect other people to do their thinking for them 
but it's not acceptable for, you know, a group of people to decide what's best for themselves. Um, I've always found that a little bit, you know, on the ironic side, especially since they consider the mob is, you know, in, in their free market capitalist model, they expect the mob to be the consumers that are supposedly going to keep everybody in line. You know, they don't trust them to uh, choose their own, you know, uh, laws, but they do trust them to supposedly keep all of the corporations in line. Obviously, that's been proven not to work. But before we digress too far, in the Venus Project, he advocates uh, a certain amount of, you know, direct democracy to help make decisions, wherein everybody will get an opportunity to participate in the conversation using superior communications technology. Um, and if you go back to watching, like, his original concept, socio cybernearing uh, back like a long time ago in the Larry King uh, interview, uh, it talks about um, you know the, the fact that they wanted to use direct democracy to make a lot of their decisions. Um, but that's once again only during the transitional phase and uh, as we're kind of hoping to eventually get beyond the need for such governmental you know governmental uh, functions. So basically we're going to end up talking more about democracy as time goes on because they mentioned it again in their platform. Did anybody else have anything they wanted to comment on this section? Uh, I would just add that as far as uh, direct democracy is definitely preferable to the democracy we, well, what we call democracy now, um, besides the obvious reasons of profit motive, but just plain and simple that senators and House of Representatives, they don't have to vote the way that, you know, the people they're supposed to be representing want them to vote. They just, once they're in, you vote them in and then I mean, really, they can go any way they want. So it really doesn't work. I mean, it's too easy to buy them off at, at, or peer pressure or whatever. There's so many other ways that it can go wrong. So I would say I would prefer direct democracy over what we have now. Well, I totally agree. And that's actually in – this has come up on V Radio many times because I was, of course, working with Senator Mike Gravel, who supports the National Initiative for Democracy, which is basically a, a, a bill that he put together that – um, would enable us to have federal ballot initiatives. Um, and the examples that he gives are countries like Switzerland. In Switzerland, for example, if you don't like what your government is doing, anybody can put together a referendum. And if you get enough signatures to put it on a ballot, then the people of Switzerland can make decisions for Switzerland. Um, and one of the other benefits to this is that if you, know, if you do make a bad law, then, of course, you can just put together a referendum to get rid of that law. Whereas with politicians, for example, we're, never, we're probably never going to be rid of the Patriot Act. I don't believe that the, the people would have approved of the Patriot Act. And seeing it in practice, I, don't, I, I definitely believe the people would have risen up and gotten rid of the Patriot Act by now if such a system was available. Another example would be war. Uh, Ron Paul revealed that about 76% of the American uh, population did not support the war in Iraq. And if they had a direct democracy system like the National Initiative for Democracy, they would be able to do something about it. Um, now, that's actually kind of ironic that we're talking about this because it actually looks like I will probably have Senator Mike Gravel on my show again tomorrow on B Radio. Um, that's not totally uh, scheduled yet, but we're going to talk to him a little bit about his uh, career, obviously, and also what he's doing in, in uh, South Korea right now to get a national referendum system passed in South Korea. So... We'll get back to that now. Um, and uh, as I was saying, we're going to now get back to my original blog post. Um, uh, number two uh, from the Green Party platform, social justice and equal opportunity. All persons should have the rights and opportunity to benefit equally from the resources afforded to us by society and the environment. 
we must consciously confront in ourselves, our organizations, and society at large barriers such as racism and class oppression, sexism and homophobia, ageism and disability, which act to deny fair treatment and equal justice under the law. This statement could have just as easily... Oh, I'm sorry, no. This is now my comment. This statement could have just as easily been taken from the Venus Project website. It is absolutely compatible, in my opinion. What do you think, Chibi? Absolutely. Um, no comment. Definitely. Yep. What about you, Thunder? Yeah, I, I can't say it much better than that. I think, you know, to coin the phrase that Jock says all the time until we reach the point where everyone understands and agrees that the resources of this planet are common heritage for everybody. We're just never going to have a sane society. I agree. Uh, what about you, Sarah? Yep, absolutely. Just pretty much sums up the movement. Okay. Well, that's actually why I was pretty happy to read that. Um, you know, it's like the one of the first times I've ever read a political platform that I haven't had to choke on. <laughs> um, <laughs> But anyway, um, yeah, it, basically it's totally compatible. That's why my, my statement was this statement could have just as easily been taken from the Venus Project website because what we're looking at here, all persons should have the rights and opportunity to benefit equally from the resources afforded to us by society and the environment. Now, in the Venus Project, we capitalize on that even further because we want to use technology to cultivate resources so that all people can have the opportunity to benefit equally from those resources and also to ensure that when we're doing so, we're not harming the environment, which obviously is at the core of the philosophy of the Green Party. Now, now, as they say, we must consciously confront ourselves, our organizations, society at large, barriers such as racism and class oppression, etc., all the various things that divide people that they put here. That's definitely compatible with the Venus Project, and it's also one of the reasons why uh, Jacques Fresco um, left the technocracy movement, was at least in the American technocracy movement when he was part of it, which was much longer ago, there was a racist element, and he wouldn't have anything to do with it. He wants to be a citizen of the world. Um, now, moving on to number three, ecological wisdom. Human societies must operate with the understanding that we are a part of nature, not separate from nature. We must maintain an ecological balance and live within the ecological and resource limits of our communities and our planet. We support a sustainable society which utilizes resources in such a way that future generations will benefit and not suffer from the practices of our generation. To this end, we must practice agriculture which replenishes the soil, move to an energy-efficient economy, and live in ways that respect the integ integrity of natural systems. Now, once again, my comment, this statement could also have easily been taken directly from the Venus Project website. It is entirely compatible with our ideals, in my opinion. What do you think, Chibi? Um, definitely. I think that is one of the most critical issues of whatever we do next. It has to, I mean, I think environment and, and Jock focuses on this a lot. And I, I think anybody who is part of um, this platform would be really interested to see some of the things put forth by Jacques. If you really look into his work and the designs, he, you know, it's all about nature and uh, preserving um, the environment in every which way possible. And I mean, what, what is more important than that, really? And the fact that we're not separate from nature is a big part of the, um, you know, addendum spends a little time on that as well. So definitely in line. I agree. What do you think, Thunder? I agree. I, there's nothing I can add to that. It's, it's perfectly right in line. I mean, synonymous. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, what about you, Sarah? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, it's entirely true, but I think that um, if the um, if the Green Party is operating within the current system, um, I think they're going to have a lot more trouble actually sort of getting this into um, you know make, making it happen because you know obviously the way technology is suppressed and all that. Whereas if they were to work alongside um, the Venus Project, you know, I think it would be a lot easier. You might need to take your mic a little further away from your mouth there. Um, but yeah, please continue. Okay, sorry, I keep getting to different things. Yeah, you are really quiet now. Unfortunately, folks, she's in a. <laughs> we've been having problems with her mic today. But I guess go ahead and go back to what you were doing. Finish what you were saying. Yeah, I'm just saying that um, I think it would definitely help the Green Party if they were to work alongside the movement. Um, Right. Um, I, I would actually, I, I have something small to add to that. I, I just recently watched the uh, BBC series Planet Earth on DVD, and it came with this special DVD at the end where they start talking about just environmental issues. Uh, and a lot of the mainstream environmentalists, um, when I listen to them, I mean, they're, they're trying to come up with ways to promote um, in some way of you know, making things more green and more environmental friendly. And the only way they can see to do it within this system, this monetary system, is making it economically a good decision. So they're like trying to twist and like promote things that just, it's not going to work, um, it, which was sad to me. But it's like they're trying the best they can. And I, and I think, you know, I always come back to the same conclusion that it, it won't work that way. I mean, this, um, this system is all about that. It really is preserving species and habitats and, and environments and, and resources, which we're wasting right now. But I, yeah, if you haven't seen that, that Planet Earth series was pretty good. You know, it's just all about, you know, it covers all sorts of areas. It's a good little 12 hours of documentary. Yeah, definitely. Did you have anything further to add, Thunder? Um, no, that's fine. Let's move on. All right, no problem. Um, now, I, I, responding to something somebody in the Bold Voices TV chat room is saying, um, speaking of which, guys, uh, for those of you who are coming to the show from uh, uh, Third Party Watch, or not Third Party Watch, uh, Independent Political Report and Green Party Watch, uh, be sure to check out Bold Voices TV. Uh, it's boldvoices.tv. Um, they're a very good website for you know, alternative media. Um, obviously, a lot of the people there are free market capitalists, just kind of leftovers from previous Ron Paul TV organizations. Um, and one of them said that they don't like these utopian ideas. And I actually, I always counter that with the statement that um, it is far more utopian that we can supposedly continue this linear consumption cycle on a planet with finite resources. That, that is way more utopian. To ever believe that we could just continue to maintain this endless consumption um, with, with the profit motive basically being far more important than anything else, it, that's fantasy. To believe that we can do that is fantasy. That's utopia. You have to be able to do something to cultivate, you know, and essentially make sure that we don't destroy the planet that we're on. And anything short of that is utopia. To believe that we can continue 
uh, doing the billionaire thing and pursuing the quote unquote American dream in a world where, you know, we're running out of everything and polluting everything is it's not exactly a word. Um, but anyway, so number four, uh, nonviolence. It is essential that we develop effective alternatives to society's current patterns of violence. We will work to demilitarize and eliminate weapons of mass destruction without being naive about, our, about the intentions of other governments. We recognize the need for self-defense in the defense of others who are in helpless situations. We promote nonviolent methods to oppose practices and policies with which we agree. I'm sorry, which which we we will owe to oppose practices and oppose practices and policies with which we disagree. And we will guide our actions toward lasting personal community and global peace. Now, I mean, uh, what I said was, well, we certainly agree on that. I would comment that our answers to solving the patterns of violence is about changing the environment in ways that eliminate the root causes of violent behavior. Scarcity causes violent behavior in almost every case. So what do you think about that, Chibi? Uh, I agree, but I think that one issue, well, most of these issues, you could spend an entire two-hour show on, so it's, it's hard to really, but I, I basically just agree, and while I could expand, there's really not enough time. Okay. Uh, and uh, that moves on to Thunder. Yeah, um, he's right. We could do a whole show just on this one thing. But um, in short, when you talk about the root causes of these behaviors, it, it still all funnels down to one thing, and that's a monetary system and, and the scarcity that comes with a monetary system. When you have people fighting over resources and the ones with the most money seem to have the most access to these resources, it's just not going to work that way, and people need to wake up to that and realize that it just can't be that. We can't keep doing it the way we're doing it because it's just getting worse and worse. Yep, I agree. Um, let's give Sarah one more try here and see if her mic's working any better. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, um, so, um, any real threats against it from other countries are because of scarcity. Also, I think that so many people have this idea that we need self-defense, you know, against like terrorism or whatever, and these are completely you know, made up threats, as far as I'm concerned, most of the time. Okay. Well, um, basically, for me, you know, when we talk about this, we're talking about how, um, it, basically, in the blog is that a lot of the violence, you know, they're talking about obviously we agree in nonviolence. We also believe in no coercion. Um, so as a result, we also, we basically think that the best way to deal with violence is not just a matter of preaching peace and throwing up peace signs and, you know, expecting that to be it. That's not it. You have to alter the environment so that people don't have anything to fight about in the first place. Um, and so obviously we're in concurrence with the idea of nonviolence, we also are a bit realistic about it in that we know that that's just not, it's not just going to happen spontaneously. Everybody's not going to come together and suddenly agree to be peaceful. Uh, the things that people are fighting over, and you know, in many cases, the funny thing is, is that they're not even fighting for themselves. They're being told that they are, but they're really, being, they're really fighting for some profit-motivated you know, corporation or another. And when you look at that you know, really heavily, it's like we, we've been over this. We've We've read Smedley Butler's book, which is, for those of you just tuning in for the first time, um, I read Smedley Butler's book on a recent show. Uh, we also read Addicted to War. Um, uh, Smedley Butler's book was basically about war profiteering, 
as early, you know, from his perspective, was after World War One, and he was predicting World War Two and what corporations would be involved in manipulating it to happen. Um, and basically, you're always going to have war as long as you have resources to fight over, and as long as everybody's approach to everything is he who is strongest deserves to get what they need to survive, and they who are not strong do not deserve to survive. And they never spit it out that way, but we have those arguments with capitalists all the time when they try to say that it's perfectly acceptable for some corporation like Walmart to exploit people in near slave labor conditions or outright slave labor conditions in third world countries. Well, that's too bad. You know, we're doing those people a favor, you know, giving them 50 cents an hour. I'm sure many of you guys remember that guy who called in. Um, you know, and obviously, that. but, you know, basically when you think about it, all of these major issues of violence are almost always started either directly by, as a direct result of scarcity in the form of a crime, or a neurosis brought on by the stress of the circumstances of scarcity, which is the reasons why you have more violent behavior in places where there's less money. Because at this point, scarcity and money equate to the same thing. If there's not, mo not much money, there's not much resources. Um, even if there's plenty of resources to be had, if you don't have any purchasing power, you don't have any value. Um, even if, that, you know, that's basically how everything is dictated right now. And I don't really feel that that's socially just, but we can get into that at a different time. Uh, but as far as violence is concerned, we can't naively expect peace to happen on its own. It's only going to happen if we actually go out of our way to find ways to make it so that nobody has anything to fight over in the first place. So cultivate abundance. Spend all that money that you're spending fighting on each other, you know, like the billions and billions of dollars in the weapons industry in developing hydroponic farming technology, in developing clean, renewable energy. You know, that's why uh, Jack often talks about the production that we did during World War II, you know, how that money could have been spent differently. Uh, the Manhattan Project is another good example of if, you know, if you would, what if we had gotten all those great scientists together in the Manhattan Project to instead focus on creating alternative energies, you know, and it, now what if we did a Manhattan Project, you know, equivalent now and, you know, and, and spent our effort and resources on that to try to find alternative energies rather than trying to take everybody else's oil. So once again, um, that was it. Unless anybody has any further comments, I'm going to move on. Okay. No, go ahead. All right. Excellent. Okay. Um, decentralization. This is number five in the Green Party platform. Centralization of wealth and power contributes to social and economic injustice, environmental destruction, and militarization. Therefore, we support a restructuring of social, political, and economic institutions away from a system which is controlled by and mostly benefits the powerful few to a Democrat, less bureaucratic system. Decision-making should, as much as possible, remain at the individual and local level while assuring that civil rights are protected for all citizens. Now, my comment in the blog was, we agree with virtually all of this. However, we do not oppose a larger infrastructure, uh, oppose a larger infrastructure to help ensure that every community has resources that it needs. But we feel that most of the infrastructure can be automated and taken out of the hands of politicians who tend to only administrate resources in the interests of whatever companies can pay them the highest political campaign contributions an elimination of the monetary system of exchange would fix this. So what do you think, Chibi? Uh, I think you worded it pretty well, and yeah, I would agree. Uh, people do somewhat freak out about that, especially when we talk with the anarchists about having this large infrastructure as well, who's going to control it, things like that. Um, and the automation factor is really overlooked 
although you do have to get these things built, so somebody is in charge of building them at some point, that's why we need something like this to transition in, into the actual resource-based economy. That's pretty much it. Okay. Um, now, uh, go ahead, Thunder. Yeah, I, I don't have really anything to add. You, you uh, covered it very well. I'll go ahead and move on to Sarah. All right, Sarah, let's try this again. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, when it comes to technology and resources, um, I agree with you that, yeah, um, it should definitely be a worldwide thing. Uh, but when it comes to sort of politics and ethics, I, I definitely agree with decentralization. I definitely think that it should be very much a localized thing to do with um, just the people who are directly involved with these each issue. Okay. Um, yeah, it definitely does. Uh, now, just to comment on something also said in the chat room, um, this again for from somebody in bold voices, uh, whether or not a resource is finite seems to be of little relevance to the argument. If society is going to depend on finite resources, it is going to run out regardless. The real argument is how to best deal with the dependence of finite resources. I would say allow for a market, develop new, and allow for the market, remember the mythical market that's going to take care of us, to develop new and more efficient use of resources to fit society's needs. The market actually finds scarcity as a perfect opportunity for profit. The oil industry is an excellent example of that. Um, and that isn't just going to suddenly go away. What the market will do is come up with new and interesting ways to try to make you in entirely dependent on, your, on the companies involved. That's what it's always done historically. Um, and if there's, more re you know, if there's more scarcity, they'll just find out new ways to figure out ways to exploit people's dependence on whatever good is, is, um, is scarce. So. Yeah, there's plenty of examples for that too. I mean, just way back there was the, the subway system in, in LA that got shut down by GM. There was the electric car. There was the, um, you know, now these alternative energy companies that just seem to get stepped on. They, you know, they can't really get any, anything going. I mean, it, there's so many examples of that where, oh yeah, the market's going to do it. Well, there's people out there trying to do these things and it gets squashed by the market, quote unquote. So, uh, you know, that whole thing is uh, counterintuitive to think that people involved in market are going to, there's not profit in something that, it, like when you build a geothermal plant that's going to, you know, power as much as, say, you know, five nuclear plants did and, and three coal plants, well, they're not going to be able to get their money back out of that. The, they can't, um, you know, after they build it, they, I mean, unless they completely monopolize everything, there's no way they can get their profit back out of it, and it's a bad investment. And it's you'd be a terrible businessman to do something like that. So that's why it doesn't happen, even though this technology that, you know, 20, 30, 40 years old just does not get implemented. I mean, it, it seems pretty obvious, but if not, I mean, you really have to read into these things, I, I suppose, to be a little more aware of how this, how this works. Definitely. Um, did you have anything further, Thunder, before we go on? No, that was very well said, Chi. I agree 100%. Now, I guess to, to make sure that we reflect a little bit more on the topic at hand, just because although we are trying to address the chatters, um, they're still talking about free market capitalism, and this is a conversation about the Green Party. Um, centralization of wealth and power contributes to social and economic injustice. Well, we definitely agree with that. Uh, definitely, and uh, it also says it, it, you know, it 
basically contributes to environmental destruction. Yeah, we definitely know that. Um, it definitely contributes to militarization. Yes, we certainly agree with that. Um, and then when they say we support a restructuring of social, political, and economic institutions away from a system which is co controlled by and mostly benefits the powerful few to a democratic, less bureaucratic system, okay? Um, obviously, we, we've already talked about the fact we advocate democracy uh, in the beginning, um, and then eventually we hope that after things are, you know, put to a certain amount of infrastructure, then that won't be necessary anymore. Um, but uh, now I'm going to move on to... Uh, Number six uh, on the Green Party platform, community-based economics. Redesign of our work structures uh, to encourage employee ownership and workplace democracy. Develop new economic activities and institutions that will allow us to use our new technologies in ways that are humane, freeing, ecological, and accountable, and responsive to communities. Establish some form of basic economic security open to all. Move beyond the narrow job ethic to new definitions of work, jobs, and income that reflect the changing economy. Restructure our patterns of income distribution to reflect the wealth created by those outside the formal monetary economy, those who take responsibility for parenting, housekeeping, the home gardens, community volunteer work, etc. Restrict the size and concentrated power of corporations without discouraging superior efficiency or technological innovation. Now, my comment in the blog was, this basically falls in line with the Venus Project as well. Though we feel that all corporate problems can go away by removing the monetary system and holding the resources of the world in common heritage to be cultivated for all of the world's people in a way that is sustainable, we certainly want to redesign work, jobs, and income. We offer a solution that if, used, uh, if we use technology to its fullest extent, we could create enough abundance of everything people needed to eliminate poverty altogether but the corporations oppose anything that prevents us from being dependent on them. Um, and I want to point out this again because many people tend to think that if we just got rid of corporate personhood that that would all go away. Uh, before the advent of corporations, there were still plenty of rich people who were more than capable of you know, doing all the things that corporations were doing overall. Um, and if we suddenly got rid of corporate personhood, which I'm totally for, don't get me wrong, um, none of these major problems are really going to go away. You're still going to have people who have more money than you finding ways to ensure that they always have more money than you. So what do you think, Chidi? Uh, I agree. It seems like they're pretty much in line with us, except uh, they're probably not looking at what automation can give us and uh, uh, cybernated systems. But that's not going to happen right away. So once again, this is a, you know, a great transitional idea. Of course, in, that, in the process, we need to be working towards automating all jobs. Um, obviously, that won't happen overnight, so you do need a transition. That's why, uh, so far, I really agree with this platform. Um, there's a few others out there as well that I, you know, that could make good transitions, but I wasn't aware of this one. This is definitely a great uh, platform as well. Well, that's the whole point of the show. Um, Cap, since we're having so much trouble with your mic, um, I'm really sorry. If you want to go ahead and disconnect from the call this time, we'll bring you on later. And if you want to make any comments in the chat room and the blog talk, I'll be more than happy to read them. So thank you for being willing to come on. Um, if you can get your mic to work, oh, well, if you'll reconfigure your mic, then go ahead and see if that works, and um, I'll get back to you. Now, Thunder, go ahead with your uh, opinion. I have nothing to add. I, I, I think we are right in line, again, as long as people understand that it's a transitional phase and that, you know, even though they're the way they're talking still kind of revolves around some type of monetary exchange and, and that type of thing that 
we want people to understand that, yes, during the transition, that's probably going to be necessary to a certain extent, but definitely to a much lesser degree than, than it is now. Um, but we still need to be focusing a little bit further out so that we can keep our eyes on the prize, so to speak, and, and understand that outgrowing the monetary system uh, completely is really the end, the end goal we have. Definitely. Um, now, Kappa, if you're finished with your mic, go ahead and say something. If you're not, we'll go ahead and move on. I, you know, I'll, I'll start talking and we'll see if we can fill up the air uh, where you were supposed to be. Um, if you're not finished, uh, then don't say anything. Okay, she must not be finished. Um, one of the things that uh, people often talk about uh, is that, um, particularly when it comes to this, okay, we're basically talking about uh, redesigning our, you know, our work structures so that you know employees, you know, have more say in the workplace. We're basically talking about that in the beginning. Um, that basically you're going to have a state where everybody's working towards this. The difference is, is that when people are building the machines, they always ask us, who's going to build the machines in the Venus Project? The answer is we are. The difference is, is that rather going to a job um, for the purpose of checking you know, into stuff like that, you know, I'm sorry, for the purpose of uh, you know, getting employed so that you can survive, if you decide to go work on a plant that's going to provide electricity, um, then you're going to have you know, that benefit directly assigned to that. Um, if you decide to work on, you know, the hydrop local hydroponic farm, then obviously you're working towards a goal that eventually makes it so that you don't have to work anymore. Um, that's kind of the goal that we're going for here. It, it's in, in comparison to what we're doing now, which is that we perpetually are forever dependent on somebody else for everything. You've got to pay the electric company, and they're only interested in their own profits. You could be working collectively with a group of people to build the, the, like, the solar array for your local community, and then nobody has to pay an electric bill anymore. That's the idea, is that people work together to create sustainable technologies that benefit everybody, including you. You know, often you run into problems with people, you know, they're like, well, I'm only, you know, I'm only interested in myself, so, you know, why would I want to work on this thing? Well, you, if, if it benefits the group, the last I checked, if it benefits everybody, it benefits you too. <laughs> so, now, basically, uh, they go on to say, um, Establish some form of basic economic security open to all. Move beyond the narrow job ethic to new definitions of work, jobs, and income. Well, we definitely are all about that because we feel that people's ideas of jobs now are terrible and that in a uh, resource-based economy, we could actually be focused on our jobs being things that we want to do, things that we find fulfilling. You know, um, honestly, the only reason I'm not a robot robotics engineer right now is because of the monetary system. I can't be a robotics engineer because of the monetary system. I can't afford it. There are a lot of people just like me all over the world um, with that problem. The, the monetary system does not help, you know, everybody get, you know, educated as much as people would like to claim. Everybody thinks it's easy to get an education. That's becoming less and less true as time goes on. So, yeah, I agree with that. I think I think you hit the nail on the head there, Neil, because um, we talk a lot about a shift in values, and I I think if people would be honest with themselves, a majority of a vast majority of people are working now because they have to, not because they want to. And I think the shift is going to be um, where people will want to go do these things because they know that the end result is going to be something beneficial not only for other people but for themselves. So there really won't be a selfish element 
per se as it is now, but people will want to go do these things because they know it's a good thing to do. And I think if people were honest with themselves, they would just admit to that, that they, right now they're, they're basically in this form of slavery where they have to go to work just to survive. And, and I think there's going to be that, that shift in consciousness and that shift in values where people will want to go do these things. Uh, I would add to that and saying that also it's not necessarily just because they want to work because it's good, but also because of the fact that people tend to, you know, we're social uh, creatures and we, you know, we tend to want to um, derive value from whatever it is we do. Our, our actions, we want to see value in it. And there's a lot of jobs out there today. There is no value. I mean, you, you know, think of somebody in a factory like just folding boxes or, or uh, making refrigerator magnets or just this little petty shit. That, it, there's no value in that. And they might have some friends at the factory or whatever, but, it, you know, when it really comes down to it, these kind of people that are forced into these sort of things, they don't like their job. They, you know, they do it because they have to. And if there were something they could do that where they felt they were actually making a difference, it would make them feel better and them more important. So there's still self-interest in it as well, not just because it's good, but also because they can derive value from whatever they're doing if they're contributing some way um, and, and it makes them feel a little better and more important or whatever. And plus, um, if you've been unemployed for any long period of time, most people, unless you have a family and, you, you know, you have things that take up your time, if you're single or something and you, like, live alone, you're unemployed for a long time, uh, most people who have been in that situation will say from experience, you get extremely bored and depressed and, you know, because we're not meant to sit on our asses all day for years at a time doing nothing. So it's, you know, we're going to want to do something. It just, we want it to be something valuable. If it's something that we can't derive any kind of value from, then there's no point in doing it. You know, going and, and working at a assembly line where you just feel like, wow, this is, you know, it takes like 1% of my brain and it's just a total, utter waste of human life and potential. Well said, Judy. I agree 100%. Me too. Um, we're actually uh, running low on time. I didn't expect this to be such a long read, uh, but um, I'm gonna, if you guys don't mind staying on, uh, to the live listeners, this show will cut off at 8 p.m. Uh, the archive, however, will go on beyond what is broadcasted live. Um, so, of course, you'd be willing to listen just because I would like to you know, be able to cap this off. You know, I imagine most people are going to be tuning in later anyway. Um, so, because I didn't really get a lot of opportunity to get this up, but Green Party Watch, uh, I got that on there, and I got it on independent blog reports. I'm sure we'll have a lot more listeners later on in the archives. Um, speaking of the archives, once again, you can go to v-radio.org, um, and there you will find a link that I give to a post on the Zeitgeist forums that has easy links to all of my archive shows. Um, and uh, once again, uh, you can also tune into Bold Voices TV to check out my show uh, in the Zeitgeist TV channel. I'm not using the video right now. Because for some reason my internet is once again malfunctioning, so I'm gonna go club Comcast to death with their bills. <laughs> anyway, all, all that aside, um, I think I heard uh, um, Sarah there. Do you want to try to talk? Did you fix your mic? Uh, do I sound any better now? You sound better. You're just kind of quiet. Go ahead and say what you wanted to say. Um. Oh gosh, I can't even remember. Yeah, um, no, I think I was just going to say something about how um, we're sort of indoctrinated from a very early age. You know, we're told we're sort of 
told, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And we're, we're, give, we're told to sort of put a lot of value onto these jobs that really don't have all that much value if you really look into them, you know, I mean, what the actual job entails. Um, I mean, most jobs are completely irrelevant and most jobs aren't needed. I'm sure all this has been said, sorry, while I was reconfiguring my mind, but um, yeah, that's pretty much my thought. Okay. Well, you sounded a little better that time. Anyway, um, did you have something else? I heard somebody key up. Nope. Okay. No, it sounds sounds like you're typing away. You might, I'm not in the chat room, so I'm assuming you've got some people <laughs> in there that are that are uh, chiming in on this. Uh, I, I'd be nice to get a caller. Uh, you know what? Let me look at the switchboard. No, there's yeah. no callers right now. If anybody does want to call in, it's three four seven nine four five seven seven four seven. I actually haven't been mining switchboard as much as I should have uh, because I've been reading the blog, but. Anyway, 11 minutes remaining in the live show. Once again, the archive will have the rest of the show. Now, we, uh, there was number seven is feminism and gender equality. We have inherited a social system based on the male domination of politics and economics. We call for the replacement of the cultural ethics of domination and control uh, with more cooperative ways of interacting the respect differences of opinion and gender. Human values such as equity between the sexes, interpersonal responsibility, and honesty must be developed with moral conscience. We should remember that the process that determines our decisions and actions is just as important as achieving the outcome we want. My statement was very simple. No issue with that statement at all. Um, so what do you think, Chidi? Are we feminist uh, friendly here in the Venus Project? <laughs> uh, definitely so. I, I think that a lot of the feminism, it, that, that whole issue is uh, culture-based and uh, I, I believe it's something that has evolved over time for thousands of years that, you know, to where we are, but uh, it's definitely not something that is a law of nature for men to be dominant over women, which you can see in certain cultures, and, and not only that, but studying other mammals, that it's not always the case. So, uh, yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm. What about you, Thunder? Yeah, I agree as well, and I, the, the George Carlin quote came to mind. I won't quote it word for word because it's has a profanity bit in it, but, you know, he said, look, you know, no woman ever would or could screw things up the way men have, and I'm sorry to say that, but it's just a fact. Um, <laughs> it is. It's just a fact. I mean, I'm all for more women uh, in the decision-making process because, obviously, the men aren't, aren't hacking it. They're just not cutting it. You know, they're, they're making some very bad decisions that are affecting this planet, and something's got to change. And hey, if it's uh, if it's more women involved, uh, sign me up. I'm all for it. Well, I would say to to take into account. Oh no, you know what? Go ahead, Sarah. Sorry. Um. No, I mean I'm a, I'm a total feminist. I'm not going to deny that. But Thunder, I would say that um, I would agree with you that the way men are conditioned in our current culture, yeah. I mean, frankly, uh, they do mess things up a lot. But um. Again, I, I agree with Chibi that, you know, if everyone had a relevant and equal education and we weren't conditioned in the way that we are currently, um, I don't think there would be any difference between men and women, and I think the whole point would be kind of irrelevant. I agree. Well, that's another thing, actually, I was going to, I was going to, whoa, <laughs> I think somebody not <laughs> drink. Um, something I, I was going to point out, 
is that although I am absolutely, absolutely for the rights of women, um, I was raised by a single mom, so obviously my opinion of that is very, very particular. Um, I do think that we've made leaps and bounds in that area when you consider the fact that, you know, we had uh, a vice presidential nominee, Sarah Palin, was a huge impact. Um, we had Hillary Clinton, who very nearly took the Democratic nomination. Uh, we had the Green Party, Cynthia McKinney, nominated for that party. Um, there was uh, some of the bigger hitters in the Libertarian Party was uh, Mary Ruart, for example, um, got very far, uh, nearly defeated Bob Barr. Um, in fact, I think she came in second place. Yeah, she did. Um, and uh, Christine Smith was one of my favorite Libertarians, and uh, she, did, you know, she did okay. She had some scandals along the way, but, um, there, but basically I think that the, you know, we've also got a lot of ladies in Congress, um, and to be honest, if, if Obama for some reason was not in the race, I think there's no question in my mind that Hillary Clinton would have been the president of the United States. Um, and now she's secretary of state. So while I do believe that, that we do need to respect gender issues, this I think is almost a moot point at this point. You know, it's in the Venus Project, we don't have any, we, it's never even been an issue. There's never been a, a question as to what our opinion on gender equality was going to be. You know, Roxanne Meadows is very influential in the project. And Jacques just happens to be in charge because Jacques's been doing this, you know, since the Great Depression. So um, there, there's no gender issues that I'm aware of. So obviously we totally respect uh, the rights of women in the Venus Project. So um, I'm going to go ahead and move on to uh, respect for diversity, number eight on the Green Party platform. Um, we believe it is important to value cultural, ethnic, racial, sexual, religious, and spiritual diversity, and to promote the development of respectful relationships across these lines. We believe that the many diverse elements of society should be reflected in our organizations and decision-making bodies, and we support the leadership of people who have been traditionally closed out of the leadership roles. We acknowledge and encourage people for, for, other, I'm sorry, for other life forms than our own and the preservation of biodiversity. Oh, I'm sorry, we acknowledge and encourage respect for other life forms other than our own and preservation of biodiversity. Now, I'm going to say my quote first. While we also respect this diversity of different cultures, we also want to emphasize on the unifying principles and the things that all mankind has in common. As long as cultural differences can allow us to contribute to a richer whole, rather than being dividing factors that keep mankind from working together, I don't see any problem with that. As far as the last sentence about biodiversity of life forms, we absolutely agree on that 100%. I mean, if you watch uh, The World According to Monsanto or The Future of Food, they talk about all kinds of problems we're having because of the lack of biodiversity in, in the agricultural belts and how, you know, for example, biodiversity in uh, Ireland, they didn't have any biodiversity in the kind of potatoes that they were growing. So as a result, when a blight came through, it wiped out the entire crop. Um, because there was, you know, and they had no alternative potatoes to plant. So, you know, Ireland, you know, basically everybody there starved. That was the potato famine. So now, basically, with respect for diversity in cultures, uh, as well as obviously in life forms, uh, what do you think, Chibi? Uh, I agree with most of the statement, especially the bit on bio, biodiversity, um, which is why we shouldn't be wiping out species that we don't even know how it's going to affect us in the future. Big mistake. Um, but... I think that maybe it's just the wording, but there's a part, you know, it, uh, it mentions religious and spiritual diversity, and it says that 
the leadership of people who've been closed out of leadership roles, you know. Uh, I don't know if it's just the wording, but to me, I sort of get the idea that maybe they think certain religions aren't being um, represented politically, at which point I would have to, I, I mean, yes, that's true. We've had a, you know, majority, of, at least in the U.S., a Christian um, background type leadership, and they use it in the rhetoric constantly. It's pretty obvious whether or not they're really Christians or not is, you know, none of my business. But, you know, they sort of use that as part of their platform. We know Bush was huge on that. Um, I don't think that's a positive thing, um, but it, it's such a touchy issue. But I don't think religion should really come into play when we're talking about making decisions um, that affect everyone, because it, then it's almost like forcing, you know, if you say, well, we're going to do this because this is what God wants us to do based on my religion, well, and you make that sort of decision, well, what about all the people who don't worship the same God you do? You can't really, so I, and I don't think that that's what they were saying, but I guess I want to just point that out that, um, yeah, we definitely, you know, people can believe in whatever they want to believe, but I wouldn't say that we should base our political um, or structural, you know, any any of our really important decisions should be based on just a religion, uh, a religious ideal. It, I mean, historically, it's been proven not to really work. Okay, so oh, was that it, Chidi? Yeah, that's all. Okay, uh, Sonner, what did you have to add? Uh, really, nothing to add. I think Chidi covered it very well. You know, and and I think that um, a lot of the people that tend to be skeptical about the Venus Project don't really understand that we're not trying to change anybody's religion or their belief system or anything of the kind. As a matter of fact, we want people to embrace other cultures and other uh, beliefs. As long as it's not causing harm to, to human beings, there is no, absolutely no reason that we can't all come together and, and discover what we have in common instead of focusing so much on what divides us. I think that's a really big factor that, that people need to understand and where we need to be shifting our focus in what we have in common and not what is different about us. All right. Um, Sarah, you want to weigh in? Yeah. Um, in terms of what Chibi was saying, um, I think he, he's kind of uh, getting to the point where um, you know, Jacques Fresco says, well, everyone isn't necessarily entitled to their own opinion. And I mean, I, I wouldn't go as far as that. I would say, sure, everyone's entitled to their own opinion, but they're not entitled to express that within politics where, uh, as far as it affects someone else's life. Um, uh, yeah, and the other, uh, as far as the respect of other life forms, um, I would just recommend anyone listening to go and watch the... Um, the uh, documentary called Earthlings is on Google Video. Yeah, I, I guess something else I would add to that, if you don't mind, is um, what, I, what I was trying to say about the religion thing. I, I mean, we're definitely not against any kind of religious ideals, uh, regardless of what was in the first side text. But there was something important mentioned that needs to be addressed. And, and when I talk to people that are... Um, Christian that are around me, I, I try and stress this as well as, as far as going back to like I think their third point, which is we are not separate from nature. Well, religion serves to sort of contradict that for some for some religions, and so you get this sort of uh, 
cognitive dissonance with with the environment where you, you just say, well, you know, that doesn't matter. The end times are coming, that kind of thing. And that sort of attitude is really harmful uh, in, if you really think about it. And, I mean, all I could say to them is, look, well, okay, if you believe God gave us this planet, well, shouldn't you want to take care of it just because it's a gift from God? I mean, whatever you have to say, I mean, it does make sense. So I just wanted to point that out. I know we're running out of time. Well, we're just running out of time for the live show. Uh, for those of you who have tuned in now, the basically the Blog Talk archive will have this available later. Um, we're just going to continue on with the show from here, and you can always tune in later. Uh, thanks again for tuning in to B-Radio, and I hope that uh, you'll be back with us at some point. So, anyway. Um, so to continue with what we were talking about... Um, I'm actually, you know, also while I'm at this, I'm amusing myself endlessly with the Green Party Watch website. <laughs> you can check out greenpartywatch.org, um, where at the top you have this little frog, and you can click on these flies, and the flies currently represent an oil well, and you get to kill the flies with the little frog. <laughs> this is actually a way also just to get me to get people to go to Green Party Watch uh, and check out uh, Green Party Watch for, uh, as a source for Green Party news. Um, it's, a, it's a really good website. Um, Anyway, um, so getting back to the blog, um, we were talking about diversity. We've, we've been through all that. Um, now, when I was talking about respecting diversity, obviously we respect cultural diversity. The issue is also that we need to, in some ways, move past a certain amount of it in the, in the ways that it divides us. That's all. And you know, if we can, it would be as diverse, obviously, as we want to be, as long as we can do so in a way that will still allow us to facilitate the best cooperation for the best quality of life for everybody. So... Now I'm going to move on to number nine, personal and global responsibility. We encourage individuals to act to improve their personal well-being and at the same time to enhance ecological balance and social harmony. We seek to join with people and organizations around the world to foster peace, economic justice, and the health of the planet. Now, that was the end of them. And what I said was, uh, we certainly agree with all of this, but we also feel that people should keep in mind that it benefits the individual to also do what is best for the group. Not saying that this statement is against us, of course, but our past encounters with some groups emphasize so much on the individual, even when the individual actions uh, endanger not only the individual, but everyone else. So, um, but go ahead, Chibi, what did you think about personal global responsibility? Yeah, uh, totally agree. What you said pretty much summed it up. You have to remember that if your race goes extinct or your environment is destroyed, it affects you too. It's not just, you know, you can look at it from a selfish point of view and still come to the same conclusion, which I think is what you were saying. So, yeah. Well, another contrast I want to point out because it just popped in my head is that in many cases, for example, the libertarian personal responsibility, sorry about that. <laughs> cats going at it right here on my couch. Um, personal responsibility generally translates to them into being issues of providing your own health care, not being on welfare, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but personal responsibility should also be to things like um, controlling basically, you know, uh, your contributions to the environment. Um, are you keeping your, uh, basically, are you keeping your lifestyle green? Are you recycling? You know, all of these things are just as important um, because in the long run, if you're not doing things like that, you're going to have problems for yourself just as much as you do for many of the things libertarians complain about and issues of personal responsibility. So um, now, Thunder, what did you have to say about personal and global responsibility? 
I think you guys have said it just well. I, I really have nothing more to add. That's that's great. I agree 100%. Okay. Um, and, uh, all right, that brings us to Sarah. Did you have anything to add? Yeah, I mean, um, I would say that um, uh, in terms of improving your own personal well-being, I mean, there's no reason why that should impede on the environment. Um, you know, if you look into sort of a healthy lifestyle and what is genuinely healthy for a human body, you find that um, it is the natural, you know, way of doing things that is always a healthy way. You know, we don't need chemicals and, you know, uh, processing and all that kind of stuff as a part of the environment. We don't need it at all in, in terms of um, improving our personal well-being. Yeah, I, I see where you're coming from. Um, and... Uh, Basically now, um, I'm actually going to go ahead and uh, move on next to the next blog point, unless anybody had any further comments on what she said. Okay. All right. Um, number 10, future focus and sustainability. Our actions and policies should be motivated by long-term goals. We seek to protect valuable natural resources, safely disposing of or unmaking all waste we create while developing sustainable economics that does not depend on continual expansion for survival. We must counterbalance the drive for short-term profits by assuring that economic development, uh, I'm sorry, that economic development, new technologies and fiscal policies are responsible to future generations who will inherit the results of our actions Make the quality of life, rather than open-ended economic growth, the focus of future thinking. And um, I basically, you know, I said, uh, yes, this statement is also completely in line with our beliefs. Um, I honestly feel that in many ways could be very much taken from the Venus Project website. What do you think, Chidi? I agree. Nothing really to add to that. Thunder? No, I, that's, you're, do, you're doing great. It's like you're speaking the exact words that are coming to mind for me, so I have nothing more to add. Um, all right. Sarah? Yeah, it pretty much sums up everything that Jack says. Well, um, basically I stated in conclusion I would say that it would certainly benefit the Venus Project and the Zeitgeist Movement to extend a hand to the Green Party. It is clear that we are on the same page on the issues. Maybe if we expose them to our solutions, we could join forces. And to those of you from the Green Party uh, who would like to learn more, if you go to v-radio.org, I have links to several things, including the Zeitgeist Movement website, the Venus Project website. Um, it is my intention, actually, to attend the upcoming Green Party National Convention here in Michigan. Um, I am hoping to be able to get, uh, you know, if not, you know, maybe a table to set up just to be able to pass out our information. And with any luck, maybe at some point Mr. Fresco could do a presentation for the uh, Venus Project. I don't know. Uh, that's really that up to you. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. Yeah, I'd love to hear that, too. What about you, Chidi? Uh, yeah, I, I agree. That I, I, I guess I was, I was thinking about um, mentioning what the New Zealand um, chapter has been doing as far as sort of um, having get-togethers with other parties like this and other um, activism groups, and it's been really... It's, it's helped them a lot in growing and, you know, they, they have these huge get-togethers and auditoriums where, you know, it's not just Zeitgeist members but also from these other activist groups in the area, whether it be environmentalists or, or anarchists or, or whatever it might be. 
and they come together and discuss their ideas and, and from what I understand it's been really productive so uh, especially with this particular party I, I think that'd be a great idea to, to sort of um, right start to it, I mean yeah I mean if it's if it's working well for them we need to we need to duplicate that and, and do it in our own areas I agree Chief. Right. We don't have to necessarily agree on every point, but we, we still do have some uh, common things uniting us, so, so to speak. I mean, we are exactly. they are definitely. I mean, we are definitely extremely focused on the environment, as are they. So it seems to me that we would make uh, natural allies. I mean, what what is it, you know, if you take the Zeitgeist movement and you take the Green Party separately and then just bashing their head against the wall. I mean, obviously. Um, do more if, if the two were working together in some areas. Well, I certainly agree with that. Um, and it is my hope, actually, that, you know, perhaps some of the local Zeitgeist chapter people, you know, who would be interested in even joining the Green Party might come to their convention with me, um, be an opportunity to talk about our ideas. Because as opposed to many cases with other groups, uh, you generally have to talk them into, how, you know, talk them out of their solutions, which we don't really believe are going to work. Uh, with this movement, obviously, it's like they said here in future focus and sustainability. That's basically what the that's almost the Venus Project right there in a sentence: future focus and sustainability. And then they say that our actions and policies should be motivated by long-term goals. The Venus Project is our long-term goal. Um, you know, we do seek to protect natural resources, safely disposing of or unmaking all waste we create. Definitely Venus Project. While developing a sustainable economics that does not depend on continual expansion for survival. Yep, we definitely agree on that. Um, and that we must counterbalance the drive for short-term profits by assuring that economic development, new technologies, and fiscal policies are responsible to future generations who will inherit the results of our actions, uh, make a quality of life rather than open-ended economic growth the focus of future thinking. That's definitely it, the quality of life rather than open-ended economic growth. Um, yeah, those are, I mean, that's, it's, I mean, that's symmet directly symmetrical. I. I think the Green Party, you know, has it on the ball, and, and we need to get together with them, definitely. Well, I think that what it would behoove people to do then is that if you're in your local uh, chapters of the Zeitgeist Movement, maybe you should check out um, and find out what the local Green Party chapters are um, and see if you can perhaps, you know, have a conversation with them. Maybe they'll let you um, do a presentation, um, even if it's just to show one of the videos to give them an idea of what it is that we're doing. Um, different people in the Green Party that I talked to generally kind of said, well, yeah, duh, uh, where have you been? We've been doing this for a while, <laughs> you know, as far as all the things that we also feel are the problems. But, and as I said, I did have that great conversation with a guy who was at the, the national uh, office for the Green Party um, who totally agreed with everything I said and said that, yes, absolutely, we do have all the technology. And him being an architect and you know, involved in engineering, he, you know, he said, we absolutely do have the technology. We're just choosing not to do it. Um, and so that definitely shows, you know, that we have a, a foothold that could definitely bring our ideas together. I mean, in a lot of ways, we kind of already do fight for all the same things the Green Party does. The difference is, is that we have a different solution that eventually gets us past the current system. Um, and I think that, that that's the only place maybe where some of us may be different. I think some of these people probably still believe that we can get people elected and things of that nature, and I hope that they do. You know, it would be great if we had more Green Party politicians get elected. But in the meantime, however, you know, in the long term, I think that, you know, the system is eventually going to crash, and when it does, 
recreating the old system is just going to bring us back to the same old problems. Yeah, you know, I meant to ask you, too, when we first started the show, um, when you were asking about familiarity with the Green Party, I do, I did forget to mention that I'm aware that Ralph Nader, you know, ran under the Green Party, but I haven't heard much from him lately. He's kind of disappeared. Uh, is he still... No, 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 he was, he was very active. He was just an independent. Um, I actually helped organize a debate he was in with Chuck Baldwin. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, he's an independent. I don't know why he left the Green Party. I've never asked. Um, uh, but overall, he, I mean, he used he was their guy for a while, and then he, he decided to leave. I have no idea why. Um, but he still holds most of the same uh, feelings. But uh, I think that, you know, if you remember what Jacques said in the Living on Purpose interview on the subject of Ralph Nader, you know, that he had a lot of ideas that he thought would not be sustainable within the current system. That's, right. I think, actually a very telling point. Not sustainable within the current system is that, you know, like, uh, Jacques said that if we had implemented everything that Ralph wanted to do, then theory, you know, that we wouldn't be able to compete with other countries because our workers would have so much right, so many rights that uh, the countries and other works work, you know, basically, I'm sorry, that the workers in other countries don't have, that, you know, our businesses would be weaker than theirs because we actually, you know, had a standard of living that we wanted people to be able to have. Um, you know, I don't know, you know, basically, that's kind of an example of one of the reasons why we kind of think that eventually we're going to have to move out of the political system, move beyond the political system, and move instead into a system that is sustainable, not just materially, but socially, because we're kind of beyond that now. We're, we're getting to the point where this system is not only physically unsustainable, socially it's not going to work anymore. Um, and I don't believe that throwing a lever and deregulating everything and getting the government out of it, as the libertarians would say, is suddenly just going to make everything better. I think that that's just going to empower the people who are in control now, who have always been in control, just to further be in control with nothing to stop them. At this point, the government regulations are the thin veil that we have to protect ourselves from them. And, and that's, of course, being even further bogged down by the fact that the corporations just own all the politicians so that it's not an issue anymore. So, Absolutely. But, we yeah. definitely yeah, go ahead, Sarah. Yeah, I mean, I was just going to say, and that um, in number ten there, um, they say that their policies are motivated by their long-term goals. But I just don't think their long long-term goals are specific enough. And I think that um, while they have some really good ideas in the short term uh, for you know um, the transition stage, that, you know what we would call the transition stage, you know, whereas I I, I would tend to say that um, the Zeitgeist movement maybe doesn't have very specific. Um, Sort of short-term goals, um, so I think definitely we can we could definitely fit into um, sort of each other's programs. So I think you know, um, in terms of sort of meshing the two together. Um, and the other thing I was going to say, like um, you, you kind of went off on a different sort of tangent, but um, earlier you were talking about sort of how we all need to kind of locally, you know, get um, get our kind of local Green Party. Uh, whatever parties, um, you know, aware of the movement. And um, I totally agree with that. I think that um, the whole, uh, um, I mean, I'm, I'm using this term very broadly speaking, but I, I would call it the anti-globalization movement. I mean, it, it's right across the world. I mean, there, there are so many, like literally millions of people everywhere, you know, all over the world who are pretty much um, seeing the same problems as we are and looking for the answers. And I definitely think it's that we do try to reach out to as many of them as possible and um, at the risk of sounding cheesy, you know, we do need to unite. I definitely agree with that, um, especially, um, 
you know, for a long time, actually, I remember talking about uh, when we had Connie Fogel. This is during the time I was in the Ron Paul Revolution. Connie Fogel, who is kind of like the Canadian Ron Paul, so to speak, um, only she was even more marginalized. Uh, the media wouldn't talk to her at all um, because she would talk about things that they didn't want to hear about, things like, you know, uh, Canadian sovereignty going away, Canadian rights going away, things of that nature. Um, when I talked to her, we, we discussed the fact that, you know, some of my listeners wanted to know why it was relevant because there are a lot of nationalists in the Ron Paul movement who only care about the United States. And I pointed out to them that if you believe in a new world order, if you believe in a global effort to try to uh, control the people, then it's going to take a global effort to overthrow that effort. It's going to take people coming together from other countries to make that work. Um, and you know, it, as long as we continue to say, well, I don't care about that country over there, I only care about myself, that's what got the whole World War II thing going. You know, nobody cared about the fact that Hitler was taking over small countries, and if he had just stayed in some of those small countries, the likelihood is nobody would have done anything about it. It wasn't until he invaded some of the larger countries that people cared, and that's an example of what happens when you're only out for yourself. Um, and it, especially when you consider the fact that we are all a species on this same planet, you know, at this point, you know, in the old days when what we were doing didn't really affect people around the world, it wasn't as big a deal. But now we, everything we do affects people around the world. When we do nuclear testing, that affects everybody. When we do pollution, that affects everybody. It's not just a local issue anymore. When we put stuff into the air, it gets into the, you know, into the clouds, and then it's on somebody, raining down in somebody else's country later. You know, it, this notion that we can just concern ourselves with our own country is ridiculous. It doesn't mean that we should be getting involved in foreign entanglements and wars, obviously, which is one of the biggest things that I will be in favor of. I don't think that we should be doing all that, but I don't think we should be going to war. I think we should be trying to find other solutions because going to war, obviously, is a solution only for the person who happens to be lucky enough to have the biggest military. So um, I hope that everybody's enjoyed this show. Uh, I look forward to hearing comments, and I hope that listeners from the Green Party will, you know, at some point come forward and talk to us. Um, Chibi, did you have anything further to say? No, that's good for today. Okay. What about you, Thunder? No, I'm good. Thank you for having us on, Neil. This was a great show. All right. And what about you, Sarah? Anything else? Yeah, I just want to apologize for my mic, and hopefully if I do end up coming on again, as I'll have that sorted. And, um, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for tuning in to V-Radio. Um, I'm going to go ahead and sign off now, and um, I will talk to all of you later. Thanks again.